0: got this in the mail a couple of days ago. This is from my friend Rick Williams in Highland County. And in part what he sent me a nice card when everything started with the virus, Connie, his wife and our daughter Lauren began making masks. The project grew to include Connie's mom Fran. Uh, So three generations work together. They have made close to 1,200 masks when they reached 999, 999, and 1,000. We all agree that you should be the recipients. We know Fran has made several masks herself, but we thought she might enjoy one as a gift. So this is is the mask, uh, again, made by, I guess Rick didn't make it, but Connie and Lauren and Fran. So Connie, Lauren, and Fran, thank you very much. For doing that. I'm wearing a tie today from Bluffton, uh, Bluffton University, uh, Mennonite Liberal Arts uh, University uh, in Allen County, uh, the Bluffton Beavers. So shout out to the Bluffton University. As we get back to work after Memorial Day weekend, uh, We remembered, of course, uh, this past weekend, those that gave their lives in defense of our freedom. Uh, As we start today, I'd like to take a moment to recognize those that are currently serving uh, our country. We're very, very proud of them. Um, We're gonna start with a portion of the song, It's America, performed by Camouflage, the country music performance team of the 338th Army Reserve Band. They are stationed in Whitehall and in Michigan, and they perform for Ohio and Michigan military members, veterans, and civilians through a variety of concerts, parades, sporting events, educational outreach events, and providing taps and honors for military funerals. Uh, This video was created using technology to continue mission training virtually. Uh, It recognizes what brings us together as Ohioans, and as Americans. So let's take a listen. It's a high
1: school prom, it's a Springsteen song, it's a welcome home parade. It's a man on the moon and fireflies
2: and Judah kids selling it lemonade. It's cities and farms, it's open arms, one nation under God.
0: Well, that was great. I want to talk uh, this afternoon for a moment, uh, a few moments, uh, about testing in nursing homes. Uh, And as we are moving forward uh, with with more uh, capacity to test, more tests available, uh, not only through uh, what the state is doing and what local health departments are doing, but also, of course, the private sector and we would expect the private sector will c- continue to see them uh, expand the availability of, of, of testing uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Um, as far as we are concerned, we have two big goals. Uh, one is to be able to focus uh, on where there are hot spots, uh, make sure we are able to move in with appropriate testing. Uh, the second big thing that we're doing as we we are ramping up um, our local health department's uh, capability uh, as our uh, detectives uh, who who, who, when someone tests positive uh, go out on a voluntary basis talk talk with the individual talk to the individual on the phone and then determine who all they have been in contact with and again uh, this is getting more aggressive on our behalf going after uh, the, the COVID-19. But today I want to talk about the first, and that is the, the hotspots. And I want to talk specifically about our nursing homes. Uh, as you know, uh, a number, large number, of our deaths uh, in Ohio from COVID-19 have occurred with in regard to nursing home patients. Um, nursing homes uh, contain some of the most vulnerable Uh, members of our society uh, based of course on age uh, but also based on medical medical condition Uh, so i have asked my team and challenged them um, to work with the ohio national guard local health departments local hospitals to, to go after this problem and so we are Going to start this week, and we talked a little bit about this last week. But we're starting this week uh, a new, a new plan uh, and a new effort. And this, uh, I'm very proud to say the Ohio National Guard uh, and General Harris. Um, we're standing up what we're calling Congregate, congregate Care uh, Unified Response Teams. Um, these will consist of, I believe, 10 members. Uh, will be up to 14 different teams. Uh, they will start testing uh, in nursing homes this week. Uh, the National Guard will be doing uh, the swabbing. Uh, advanced work for this uh, will be a combination of local health department. Uh, our Medicaid and, and health departments at the state level uh, will be involved Uh, as well and so what they will do is to go into a nursing home do the advanced work uh, and then that will be followed by the National Guard coming in and doing testing Um, who is going to get tested Uh, the the goal will be to test all all staff so all staff will be tested Um, in regard to the residents uh, the testing of the residents will be based on assessment Uh, clinicians as I said the advanced team will go out Uh, They will assess the situation at the nursing home. Uh, They will make a determination, maybe if there's a certain part of the nursing home that should be tested. In some cases, maybe all the nursing home should be tested. Uh, But this will be a decision um, that's based on clinically driven uh, strategy that targets those that have likely been exposed to COVID-19. We are going to start with the nursing homes That have had an experience of COVID-19 either currently ongoing or in in the past several months Uh, to kind of give you the big picture there are 960 uh, nursing homes in the state of Ohio Uh, approximately 200 of these have a COVID history Uh, and so my only uh, order to our team uh, has been to deploy the resources we have as quickly as we have and to focus on the goal of saving the most lives that that we can and so this is clinically driven this is medically driven uh, clinicians are making these will be making these assessment decisions uh, the guard will come in and then a test test uh, take take the test um, uh, appropriately based upon uh, those those instructions Uh, So again that we will see that start uh, this week Um, It will be an ongoing process Uh, So we're not sure how many homes will be done every week We will give you a report uh, as we move forward But this will be a continuation process uh, that will go on for it for certainly for a number of weeks Um, And the targeting of what homes to go into again is 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 based uh, on what the clinicians think is is the best and the most likely that they can they can um, save the most most lives um, so all homes our goal is to have all nursing homes tested uh, we fully realize and i we always say this dr acton always says this and i 'm sure she'll have some comments um, after I get done but testing nothing magical about testing it is a tool uh, it is a tool and it 's a snapshot in time so when you go in and people are tested it tells you who is testing positive now and this again is particularly important uh, although all nursing homes are, are have been deploying uh, for some time all the since since we started this the best practices that we have talked about where they're determining if, if a staff member for example is ill uh, but as we have learned and it's driven home to us every day. There are a lot of people out there who are positive, are in all likelihood, uh, you know, contagious, uh, and yet they have no symptoms. Uh, and so that is why uh, one of the reasons that why this testing uh, is is in fact important. So this is a new phase. Uh, we begin it today. Uh, begin at this week, and we will be reporting uh, back to you at least once a week exactly how how that is going. Uh, Let me also um, announce um, also this week uh, we will begin the testing of all residents and staff members of the state's developmental centers. Uh, This is an important effort to try to limit the spread of COVID-19 in these congregate care settings. Uh, Again, medically trained members of the Ohio National Guard will be at the state's eight developmental centers this week to test residents and their staff. And so that is, uh, again, something that uh, will occur uh, this week and we believe should be, in all likelihood, completed uh, this week. Dr. Acton.
1: Thank you, Governor. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, We'll start, as always, with the numbers, and uh, the confirmed cases right now in Ohio at 33,006 cases, and now in Ohio we have over 2,000, 2002 deaths um, thus far, and that's an increase um, in the last 24 hours of 15. Uh, And the rest of our stats? (laughs) Thanks, Eric. Um, Our age range has changed slightly. We are now going from an infant under the age of one to 109 years of age, Uh, still skewing, mostly male. Um, We know that um, we have tested over 337,000 individuals in Ohio at this point. The median age of cases is now 49 years of age. We are having about, of all our cases, 17% result in a hospitalization, and 4% um, an ICU visit. Uh, We know um, that we are staying uh, relatively stable in the numbers of COVID-related ICU visits. Next case, Uh, great. Again, our trends, we are still looking over a a 21-day period. And we are still seeing that we are very much in a plateau phase. Um, We have a little bit of a down today in some of our numbers um, based on the 21-day average, but still very, very close. Next slide. Testing numbers uh, continue to go up. We often see a little bit of a dip in the numbers over the weekend. Not all testing centers are operating. Um, every day, especially during a holiday weekend, but I suspect we'll see a pretty high uptick with the start of the week. And next, our R-naught numbers, again, we're looking for this reproductive number, this spread of one person to one person as our goal. We're still below that, although we do see a very slight uptick. This is something we'll be watching closely. Um, As we've said in the past, um, a typical spread at the beginning of this disease was seen as one person being able to spread it. Uh, to two to three people, um, as high as five people. In Ohio, uh, since all the measures we took in our work together, we saw that get to to one-to-one or below. A typical flu season is a one-to-1.2. That's when we see our capacity at our hospitals be really targeted. Um, But right now we're still at one, and we'll keep an eye on that. Again, that indicator, as many of them do, lags about two weeks. And I think that's, that's it for our data today, Governor. Thank you, Thank you very much. Um,
0: you know, we really can't say enough about our uh, folks who are at the front line uh, every, every single day. Um, when the co- co- coronavirus began invading our communities, our, our, our doctors, our nurses, other medical workers uh, really have, throughout this time, has faced it really head on. They've just done a phenomenal job Um, we are going to be joined um, today by jeff Uh, before contracting covid 19 jeff who's a physician in southwest ohio was healthy active uh, and strong now as he continues to recover thank god uh, after more than a month in the hospital uh, he says he anticipates that he won't be back to normal for a while and he will have the opportunity to to talk with him Uh, we've asked Jeff and we've asked his wife Tina who is also a physician and also uh, contracted COVID-19 to tell you their story Uh, the story reminds us all of us about why taking safety precautions for ourselves and for others is so very very important so thank you both for joining us good Good to see both of you. We are very, very uh, grateful. Um, Jeff, I wonder if we could maybe start off with you and you could talk a little bit maybe about, about your, your experience.
3: Sure. Thank you, Governor DeWine, for having us both. Um, like you said, I was uh, a pretty healthy person uh, for 63. I ran in the woods with my dog. I exercised. We live on a 60 acre farm, so there's a lot of physical labor to be done. And uh, March 20th, about, uh, I started just to fill fatigue the tea and uh, uh, maybe uh, low grade temperature, nothing much. Uh, that was a Friday, I believe. And um, knowing the COVID, pandemic was in, at hand, I went to a urgent care uh, because at that time that was the only place that would test and I didn't want to expose uh, my patients and I ultimately ended up testing positive but my oxygenation was good. I did not really meet any of the criteria for admission and uh, uh, then I think I was admitted on the March 27th, but the, uh, that day, uh, and I was going, I was laying down, having uh fever, chills, fatigue. I did not have much of a cough. I never was short of breath, but I think I was not always, uh, lucid, and my wife at that point decided she was going to take me to the hospital. And, uh, that was the beginning of that. And uh, I uh, went to the hospital Bethesda North. Uh, and uh, pretty quickly the our doctor told me that uh, I was uh, going to need to be intubated. And uh, I went pretty much to the ICU. And for those four days, you know, it's all a blur for me because I was under heavy sedation and intubated. Uh, and my wife probably at that point was a mess because when you're dropped off at the hospital, you usually go into the hospital with your sick loved one, but they says go wait in the parking lot and we'll get back with you. So that is one of the big uh, problems with uh, COVID-19. Nobody that you love uh, can really be in there and touch you and help you and uh but both the emotional and the physical, you know, disabilities that you're experiencing. So um, uh, that's how it started. Um, Gina could talk about how it was to be put into the parking lot.
2: Well, the first 48 hours, I I did not stay in the parking lot for 48 hours. (laughs) I felt like I wanted to, but um, I had Uh, some of my adult children at home that i needed to console so um the first um, weekend was very rough jeff um his heart was affected by the virus his cardiac enzymes were way up he was on the ventilator Um, liver and kidney functions were abnormal and um, a lot of his markers that show that he was in something called cytokine release syndrome were elevated including um, some of his clotting factors and um his blood pressure started to drop and he had to be put on two medications to keep his blood pressure up. Um, so it was, it was a really long weekend. Um, they decided that he was in something called cytokine release or cytokine storm and treated that. And um, pretty quickly after that treatment, things started to turn around. And within the first four days, he was off the ventilator and his laboratory abnormalities were improving. And he was doing quite a bit better at that point, but that was the beginning of his month in the hospital.
3: Wow. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So when they take you off the ventilator, Governor DeWine, they put you on these external ventilators. So when uh, people complain about the discomfort of wearing a mask, I hope they never experienced these external ventilators. The one is like an astronaut uh, helmet. helmet, but it's plastic. And the pressure changes in and out so that you could breathe. It's extremely loud. The steam builds up in your face. I'm not a terribly anxious person, but it uh, created a lot of anxiety. The other one's called a BiPAP that sort of spits on your face and, again, exchanges air. Uh Neither of them were very comfortable. Both of them were life-saving, uh, but they were um, very much anxiety-provoking, and uh, uh, it was tough at those points. And of course, I had no one there with me.
0: So, how, how long were you on on that second one? That
3: the, that was off and on because I relapsed went into another cytokine storm uh, several days after the first one so I was on those for several days
2: he was on uh, about two weeks and then he had his third week in the hospital everything started to look kind of dark again his um, blood pressure started dropping his temp went back up and stayed about 103 102 for most of a week they were considering that he might have a secondary infection which is especially worrisome with covid patients Um, but when the labs came back eventually it looked like he had gone into um, at least the beginning of cytokine release again required more treatment for that Um, all this time he'd been using the bipap mask or the bipap hood and he really did have a lot of period of confusion in there, and just so difficult to be away from him and not be able to be there to help comfort him and console him when he was going through all this but once the second um, sort of um, worsening happened, uh, then he spent another um, about 10 days in the hospital, just gradually improving and still continues to make some progress here at home. Uh, Dr.
0: Yeah. Doctor Atkins here, I'm gonna ask her if she has any questions.
1: Oh, good afternoon. It, it's an honor, first of all, to meet you both. And I really, you know, I'm so sorry you've had to go through this. I think one of the hardest things as a physician that I've been facing is we talk a lot about people dying from this. And and people don't talk about the thing we talk about in medicine called morbidity, meaning how hard it is to have it and recover. And And, and this started, your journey started March 20th. Here we are in May. I can tell that you're, Jeff, you're still having trouble breathing and talking right now, right?
3: Yeah. Um, it's so much better, Dr. than it was. The first time I stood up, uh, I think they wanted to weigh me, which I went from 220 to 170 wow. during the hospitalization. Yeah. Uh, and I'm about 6'2". So uh, most of that was muscle mass. So I'm thinner, mm-hmm. a lot thinner. I always want to lose a little bit, but not this much. But uh, the first time I stood up, I said, "What in the world is going on?" I felt like I was on an alien atmosphere of poisonous gases. I could not even breathe or take a few steps. I was uh, literally gasping uh, for air, and that's sort of the big, biggest thing now. Residually uh, is my, you know, lungs and the pneumonia and the uh, subsequent. Uh, uh damage that it's done but it is it's getting better on a weekly basis it's a slow process i still have some conversational dyspnea but, but i um i uh i feel better i could walk you know from one room to another i have to raise my oxygen up yeah. but it's better and i'm thankful and uh for that
1: as, as physicians. What would you like to tell people? Not, you've lived it as family. You've lived it as patient. We know people are out there. We're mixing more. But what advice would you have to us? And what more yeah. could we be doing? Oh, yes.
3: Not for Santina could uh, follow through. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There is really no FDA medication that's approved for this. That's we're right. still researching it. The promising drugs uh but there are the lifestyle things that we can do uh good hand washing social distancing uh wearing a mask when you're out there the mask isn't 100 percent, but we want to protect those who are most vulnerable and i think people have this cavalier thing that you know i'm young i uh, need to worry but you know as stated before the range of deaths uh, in, is from infancy mm-hmm. to over a hundred, so any of us are uh, susceptible. And I'm not on any medications, no blood pressure issues. I uh, I felt I was in very good shape. So, yeah. it, it's, you know what, it terrifies me. But I understand we have to open up uh, and get businesses opened and restaurants. Uh, it's, it's a scary thing for me because I went through a traumatic event. But I would hope that people would do whatever is recommended uh, to prevent uh, furthering this
0: pandemic. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jeff, Tina. Both doctors, doctor, doctor. Thank you. We appreciate it and very, very much. And, you. uh, you're very kind. Con- oh, you you're do, you're yeah. very kind to share this with us. Um, and we, we wish you all, all, the, all the best. But it, uh, we, we felt it was appreciate important. It. THANK YOU FOR PEOPLE TO SEE AND and HEAR REALLY FROM uh, SOMEONE WHO HAD EXPERIENCED THIS AND I GUESS BOTH OF YOU EXPERIENCED IT DIFFERENT WAY uh, BUT TO HEAR DIRECTLY FROM YOU AND SO THANK YOU CAN I
3: SAY ONE MORE THING
0: SURE ABSOLUTELY
3: I HAD OVERWHELMING SUPPORT FROM MY COMMUNITY AND PEOPLE I DIDN'T KNOW Uh, AND I WANT TO THANK THEM FAMILY Friends and strangers, I was getting 50 to 100 cards a day in the wow. hospital that I could not go through because I didn't have the physical strength to open them up, but I would try to include it as part of my physical therapy here. And then uh, just the prints. So you know, some good came out of this. It shows me how important family and friends are, and uh, I, I just wanted to thank all those people.
0: That's great. Thank you both very, very much. Thank you so much. We're very grateful. Thank Thank you. you. We are ready for uh, questions. Hey, Laura.
1: Good afternoon, Governor. It's Laura Bischoff, Dayton Daily News. Uh, We're nearly three months into this um, crisis, and three-quarters of the deaths are linked to nursing homes. Um, Why didn't we have more comprehensive testing earlier in the crisis, now that we have the benefit of 2020 hindsight?
0: There's, there's certainly, as Laura has been, some, some testing, uh, you know, when a nursing home knew that they had someone uh, who might be positive, you know, testing was done. But um, this is the first time we felt really we've been able to uh, deploy uh, with this much of focus because of the testing. And it's not only the testing that we're seeing done now, uh, but we've talked about this, our capacity is grow, going up. And so we're going to continue to push that capacity up. And, you know, as, as the guard goes out, uh, our testing is going to have to continue that capacity to go up. So we're in a position now to do it. And it, I think, you know, when I looked at this, um, and we kept looking at the numbers and said, okay, you know, where we're we going to deploy this testing, you're trying to do two things at once. Uh, one is you're trying to keep from there being community spread, and so that's why we're increasing um, the local health workers uh, who who will go out uh, and interview people in the community who are who have already tested positive. That's why we have to do community testing, but to save the most lives you clearly have to go and and focus on where people are dying, and they're dying in our nursing homes, uh, they're dying in our other congregate care facilities. And the other thing that we have done uh, is that facilities that the state runs. We talked about yesterday the two nursing homes where our veterans are. You know, we've gone in with very significant testing uh, in, in those. We announced uh, today uh, about. People with developmental disabilities who uh, are in state facilities, and, and we are carrying out testing there this week. I don't know, Doctor Acton. You want to add anything to that? It's because I think Laura's question is a very good question. Yeah. Anything? No, no. no okay. I thought you covered it. Thank okay. you.
4: Governor, uh, Andrew Welsh Huggins with the Associated Press. Uh, Governor, you said on Meet the Press Sunday that uh, mask-wearing compliance in a lot of Ohio stores is 90%, that you want that to continue to go up. Even casual observation across the state would indicate the percentage is much closer to 50% in a lot of places, if that. What confidence do you have that after weeks of recommendations we could get anywhere near 90% let alone surpass it?
0: Well, I think anybody who just less listened, for example, to Jeff, uh, that's a pretty compelling story. Um, and I think the thing that uh, we sometimes miss, uh, as Dr. Acton says, um, is that not only do people die from this, but people get horribly sick from this. Um, and I think as that reality sinks in, uh, I think more and more people will wear a mask. Now, we have mandated it, as you know, for every employee, unless there's some reason they can't wear a mask, but virtually every employee. Um, as far as people going in uh, to stores, I, I, I agree. Uh, it, it certainly varies, and it varies by community. I talk to people uh and ask them you know when you're going out how many people did you see that what percentage so so you're right we're certainly not at 90% today and if i said that i, I misspoke uh we're not at 90% today but that's aspirational i think is is an aspirational goal uh and i think that again this is not about <laughs> politics. This is not about liberal or conservative. This is not a liberal or conservative issue. This is a this is a issue of how do I protect my neighbor? How do I protect people that I love? How do I protect people that I don't, I don't even know? And, and so we just need to get this beyond that this is some sort of uh uh political issue it's not at all it's about protecting each other it's as you know it it is it's as old as the scriptures you know love your neighbor I, i don't know any other way to to express it and is it perfect no it's it's not it's not perfect we know that but it's another layer and the evidence is clear it is another layer and so if you have the option to use another layer why don't we just use it and, and again I think more and more Ohioans are going to continue to do this um, and so I'm I'm an optimist and I'm confident and look uh, you know I was at I was at a funeral uh, sheriff Radcliffe's funeral uh, everybody who was there at the funeral um, and they were doing the social distancing they were doing everything they should have been doing and everybody every officer was wearing one of these uh, and that was you know, certainly a request by the Radcliffe family. So it's that type thing that, that we can do. And I think as we get used to it and look at it as a small thing that we can do that doesn't take a lot of effort, I think you're going to see more and more people who who are going to do this.
4: Thank you. Good afternoon, Governor. Jeff Reddick from ABC6, Fox 28 in Columbus. Uh, going forward as the economy continues to reopen uh, and businesses continue to go back to work how can Ohio compel workers themselves employees to go back to work the reason I asked being that uh, the Department of Job and Family Services has removed a link to report COVID-19 fraud uh, at the same time the federal government is looking at a back-to-work bonus to try and financially uh, compel people to come back to work does Ohio have any way to try and further compel, if not force, people to come back to work, um, your director of job and family services, I believe, is. We,
0: we don't intend to compel people to go back to work. People are going to have to make those those judgments themselves. I mean, what we have, the, the state does have a law, but in regard to uh, you know unemployment compensation, but you know we're not twisting anybody's arm to go back to work. I mean, I think it comes down to what it's always come down to and that is do people the employees feel safe going to work and i believe that ohio is at the forefront in this we're not the only state that's done it but i think we've done a very very good job in every single industry every single profession coming up with best practices and so that that worker knows that the best practices are going to be used in their job uh, that best practices is put together by people who understand health, as well as people who understand that particular profession or that pr- particular job. So that's something that we have done that we think will encourage people to feel more confident about going to work. But that is ultimately an individual, individual decision that individual has to make.
4: Would your office consider any financial motivator, somewhat like what the government and Senator Rob Portman are looking at, a back-to-work bonus, per se?
0: Well. I'm not sure exactly what Senator Portman's looking at, so I'm, I, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, there's, there, you know, if you're looking at the state having any money to do that, there's simply no money to do that, if that was an economic incentive. There, there's just no money. We have no money to do that. We are, you know, we, we've made cuts, significant cuts, as we should have, about 760 million dollars for a two-month period of time. Um, we are, have seen the economy go down. Tax revenues obviously go down at the same time. Social service costs go up. So I, I don't, I don't see any money available to do that.
5: Thank you. Hey, Governor uh, Jim Audy from WHIO TV. Thanks for doing this today. I wanted to ask, what else is in the pipeline? We have daycare centers, many of them coming back, many other businesses coming back starting today. They have the ability. Daycare centers a week from today. What else is in the pipeline? We have many people asking us about things like casinos and racinos, which are a big part of our economy in the Miami Valley. How close are we on that? And then, Governor Acton, are you satisfied? Are you comfortable with this rate of return?
0: Uh, no, I'm not comfortable. Uh, I don't think anybody in my position could be comfortable. Um, you know, we're going to watch these numbers. Uh, we try to to do the opening spread up over a little period of time, uh, a matter of a few weeks, not do everything the same day, um, and to try to see exactly what results we have. Um, I, I think it's expected that we'll see a rate of infection go up, um, one of the things that you will see, uh, because we're going to be testing is going to continue to go up, you're going to see as more people are tested, you're going to continue to see more people who will test positive. But in addition to just that, I think you also probably will see more people as we open up this economy, people are out more, I think you're going to see more, more people uh, test, test positive. So comfort is not wh- where I am. Uh, we are uh, at a crucial period of time. Uh, we have to open the economy. It was the right thing to do, but we've got to be very, very careful. And, uh, it, you know, as Jeff pointed out and his wife, Tina, pointed out, uh, two doctors, um, you know, getting this, for some people, is just, must be god-awful, uh, you know, just to hear, hear them describe that. So this is not anything that's, you know, that we take, take lightly. We've got to be very serious about this and continue to do that. So, you.
5: Thank you, Governor. Thank you. Kevin Landers, WBNS 10 TV. My question is for Dr. Acton. Uh, we're getting emails from viewers who have patients in the hospital with COVID-19, and as we just heard from the two doctors, currently families are being denied the chance to see their loved ones in person as they argue that patients have a right to have a patient advocate with them during their care. Can you address this concern, and should hospitals begin requiring or at least allowing um, a patient advocate to be at the bedside of these people who are in the hospital from COVID-19?
1: Thank you. I didn't know, Governor, if you had thoughts, but I'll I would
0: — no, I'm going to let Dr. Acton answer it. The only thing I would say is this is decisions made by the hospitals. This is not an order, but I know you didn't say that. But I just want to make that, that clear. That's not anything that our health department uh, or I have ordered. But I also know these are gut-wrenching decisions. And, and, and you know, just from talking to people who've been in the hospital, or people who have someone in the hospital, I know this is horrible, uh, not to be able to you know, be there with your loved one, or if you're the one in the hospital, not to have your loved one there or your loved ones there, it must be just absolutely horrible. I cannot, I can hardly imagine. Oh.
1: Thank you, Governor. I, I would just add, Kevin, I, I feel the same way as, as you know. Um, recently, my daughter was hospitalized and we went through this very same experience, not for COVID, for something else. And um, I—it it is a decision. This wasn't part of an order. Um, it is a decision. It was a decision made by hospitals. I believe they, from what I've heard, are looking at their policies very carefully. I've had conversations with the zone leads that I have contact with, who then, in turn, work the, with the Ohio Hospital Association and each other. Um, and so I know this is a, a policy discussion. I do think being able to have advocates has always been a very important thing in healthcare. So I would strongly urge um, our counterparts to come up with policies where they think they could at least help with that. And I know, as you do know, in nursing homes, it's been a much higher risk situation. And nursing homes are following policies and trying to deal with that. And that's another policy that our team is looking at, trying to find the best ways. We've been doing technology. We've been trying to do all we can while stopping the spread of the disease. But this has been, I think the governor and I would both say, one of the hardest and most gut-wrenching parts of this pandemic. Um, So I I, I guess I would refer you back, and, and the hospitals might like to speak on behalf of their policies.
5: Thank you. Ron
4: Hammy with WLIO in Lima. Uh, Either Governor or Dr. Acton, I first didn't get to see the graph if we hit that target of 22,000 tests a day. And then going off the last question, uh, with nursing homes, is there a target date you expect to allow people back in to see their loved ones or should they expect to wait for a vaccine?
0: Uh, We have a group, uh, not just of our people, but people uh, outside uh, the governor's office and outside the the health department who were looking at that last question um, I think virtually every state uh, prohibited uh, visitors to go into the nursing homes uh, that was one of the first orders that most states made uh, it's an order that makes sense when, when you think that that COVID-19 has to if it comes into the nursing home it has to come in from somebody from the outside but uh, we also know how difficult that is and now we're, you know, a number of months, several months into this. And so we've got family members who have not been able to t- see other family members for an extended period of time. So I think it's a very, uh, very difficult issue. But we are, we are actually looking at that issue. And the other issue, I'm sorry.
4: Had you reached 22,000 tests a day yet?
0: What was the first part?
4: If you guys have reached t- 22,000 tests a day yet.
0: No, we we, we chart uh, every day how many tests we have. Uh, We've been running between 8,000 and uh, close to 10,000. Those numbers need to go up, and we are dedicated to getting that done. I think you're going to see them go up uh, when we start, uh, certainly when we start uh, with the National Guard testing this week, you're going to see those numbers go up. Uh, The other thing that we're seeing out there is more we have more companies, Walmart, for example, uh, in the private sector that are expanding their private testing. And that's going to be, again, available to more more and more people, and that's going to drive the numbers up up as well. But we're not satisfied at all of where we are. Uh, we're testing more than we were. We now have the capability, and we have the confidence that we can continue to move that up. I mean, we couldn't have deployed uh, the, the guard as we are this week, unless we had some confidence that we will be able to continue to drive these 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 numbers up. Thank you.
1: Good afternoon. Jackie Borchert from the Cincinnati Enquirer. Following up on his question, we, in the last week, we've tested on average 8,500 a day, and we've been around eight 9,000 for the last three weeks. So why haven't we gotten closer to that 22,000? a day number? Is it an infrastructure issue? Are people not seeking testing? If you go to Kentucky's website, for example, the front page of their coronavirus site shows a map of where you can go and get tested.
0: I'll start, uh, and then I'll let Dr. Acton jump in. Uh, look, this is, uh, this is obviously frustrating. This is a question I ask every day to our team. Uh, you know, they spent all weekend continuing to work on this. Um, what we, we got a breakthrough. We had a breakthrough uh, when we were able to sign the contract a few weeks ago in regard to n- brand new reagent uh, and new machines. Uh, that allowed us to say, look, here's where we think our capacity is. It was 18,000 moving to 22,000. Uh, and We projected that capacity out. But that did not solve uh, the swab problem, did not s- solve the distribution problem. Um, if you look at our hospitals, uh, some of our hospitals are now having who do the testing. Some of the, some of this testing, uh, they are having reagent problems as, as well. So it is is a compl- complicated issue, uh, but we're working on it every every single day. Dr. Acton,
1: yeah, Governor, I would just add. I think where the numbers come from that. That were mentioned were a capacity issue. And the capacity came from the actual machines and the one type of the reagent, not all reagents, but one type um, that could be run on this particular machine. And in fact, that product has been delivered, we have the machines, and we have that reagent. But that's a capacity of a machine, that's a factory listed what you can do. What I've come to understand, and there's a whole team that's doing this, so I don't want to speak on their behalf. It's, these are the same questions I ask of the team governor as you do. Um, but having that capacity, but actually having the labor force to run three shifts, the people to go out and get the testing, all the other types of equipment and reagents that are part of it, because there are different chemicals that you lose along the way. Um, the fact that there are people who aren't always... Getting that testing—it's—it's it's a complicated whole system, and so you can't solve for just that one piece. The 22,000 was the capacity of one kind of machine, high throughput, but the actual system of all the components has many missing pieces and many parts that have need streamlined. Even things as simple as the types of forms you use and the barcoding. So there's a complex system of testing, all of which are being um, addressed. And this team is putting forward a holistic testing plan to the governor, and they'll also, governor, be reporting that uh, to the Department of Health and Human Services. So I think we're close to seeing that comprehensive plan the governor has actually asked for.
0: And the only thing I would add to what Dr. Acton said is that it never was a system. I mean, we, t- we can talk about a system. We, we are building a system uh, as we are doing testing and trying to save lives. Uh, we're doing it, th- it literally at the same time, and there's never, be- there's never been a system. Uh, and so, you know, part of, it, part of it is things like going to a third shift at, a, at a, the hospital labs and other things such as that. So I, I think you're going to see uh, numbers get, get better and get higher, uh, but we are certainly not satisfied with where we are.
1: Good afternoon, Lucia Lynches uh, for ION, Ohio. Uh, just a quick question. We've had some readers reach out to us and say that they've had their unemployment um, and it's been approved, but they've gotten a letter saying that they need to get that money back. Um, do you have any idea how many, uh, just in terms of numbers or percentage of people who have had their unemployment clawed back, and is there anything that they can do if they can't get through on the unemployment hotline to try to dispute that?
0: Uh, I'll find out. Um, do you know why they were clawed back? or, or Are they telling you why that it, it was clawed back from the state?
1: Um, it was approved, and then they appealed it, and then it was clawed back later. So I'm not quite sure. And there's, there's a few different ones, uh, so there's different reasons there. But um, we
0: could have a specific example. We can run that down uh, and maybe if you can give us that or give us some information and we'll, we'll try to have an answer for you on Thursday. Great. Thank you before. so much. So.
1: Hi, Governor. Andy Chow with Ohio Public Radio and Television, State House News Bureau. I wanted to get to the, the, the nursing home strategy. Can you talk a little bit more about the strategy going into what those teams will do? How will they identify which nursing homes have that contact with COVID-19 and why test just the staff to begin with
0: well the staff are obviously the individuals who are coming into the nursing home uh, and they're the ones who you know you can't get into the nursing home unless someone brings it in the logical place where it comes in is staff because we try to seal off basically every, everything else and so testing staff makes sense from from that point of view um, to kind of go back you know they're, they're trying to prioritize where they start they have prioritized where they're starting um, again they're starting with the nursing homes that have had covid we know they've had covid in the past um, and there's other factors in there that they're deciding where, where to go the goal is to test all all the nursing homes test them as quickly as we can uh to test all the staff Um, all the shifts of the staff but at the same time if there's a reason uh, if there is COVID found in there then it is the traditional tracing of okay let's see who that person would have come in contact with and so you try to surround that that person um, and find out you know who may might have uh, been in contact with the individual who you know is positive and so you you go out and test from there Uh, these are clinicians that are going to make this decision and so in some nursing homes, you could conceivably, you could, have te- you could be testing everyone. In other nursing homes, it could be a wing. In other nursing homes, it could be another, another area. But again, those are data-driven decisions and decisions based upon best medical practice. That's, that's how those decisions will be. What I've simply said is, look, it's time. Uh, look, look, it's what we need to do. The only direction I've given is go save lives and come up with the best way to deploy these resources to go do it uh, and let's move. No. And Governor, Make if I it, could
1: and, add, just very quickly. Yep. Um, Andy, this is going to be a really holistic approach. We've been testing in nursing homes themselves. They've been doing testing all along. We've been doing strike teams that come along with local health departments and the state health department to help nursing homes do the best practices alongside the CDC. What this is going to be is a a show of goodwill and support to our nursing homes. Please know that a nursing home having a case does not necessarily mean that someone's doing something wrong. This is a terrible disease. It's very infectious in congregate settings. This is a show of support by the state to come alongside. We're going to be doing best infection control practices, clinicians, hospitals, and local health departments are pairing up with nursing homes to help them make sure that they have all the best tools at their disposal to manage this. We know it's a long haul. We know this is the highest risk group. 63% of our deaths have occurred in this group. So what we're trying to do here, again, is something that's never been done before, but is our best, a best attempt to give them everything we can. Thank you.
0: Andy, thank you very much. Um, To close, you, you all have heard us talk about Eric who's right there behind the behind the camera. Eric Porter is an integral part of our press conferences and we certainly could not uh, do this without him. He's a graduate of Ohio Northern University uh, which is where I went to law school. He's been working us with us for many many years Worked with me when I was in the attorney general's office and cons- continued to work since I've been governor. Uh, he is a very talented photographer, videographer, Uh, And today we want to show a video that Eric recently made. He made it for the bluegrass band, Joe Mullins and the Radio Ramblers. Uh, Fran and I are big, big fans of the Radio Ramblers, big bluegrass fans. Uh, They are a great band. They have a national following. They perform many, many times at the Grand Ole Opry. And they also were awarded the Entertainers of the Year Award at the 30th Annual International Bluegrass Music Awards uh, Festival. So uh, a couple years ago, uh, Fran asked uh, Joe Mullins, uh, who's part of this group, who leads this group, who's actually a neighbor of ours. uh, She said, you know, how about coming up with a great song for Ohio? And so uh, Joe found this song. And uh, it's, you're going to see it performed by the Radio Ramblers, and the video uh, is, is by Eric. I think it's a great tribute to our wonderful state of Ohio. I've
5: traveled round from state to state to other lands I've been. There's no place in this whole world like the Buckeye State, my friend. Where peaceful farmland stretches out as far as the eye can see From the hills in the south to the lake up north, it's home sweet home to me Ohio I'm heading home to you The road to Columbus will carry me through The sweetest country in the land, that's where I'd long to go find the home of Bill Monroe, and West Virginia's wonderful and wild, I know you know, and lots of folks, they'd love to live in sunny Tennessee, but put me in Ohio, boys, that's where I'd rather be, Ohio. Columbus will carry me through the sweetest country in the land that's brought long ago. Cause there's nowhere that can compare with. Ohio's where I'd rather be My wife and children live there And they mean the world to me Mom and dad still live there too They say they miss me so And the kindest friends that's ever been All live in Ohio Ohio Well, can